Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes podcast. It is almost Christmas. I hope you guys are gearing up to spend some time with your family. I got a really, really good episode today. I'm interviewing one of my buddies, and this is somebody that kind of walked into an acquisition and took a practice over, made it his own, eventually moved the whole practice to a new location where he bought some land and did a really beautiful build that they just moved into. Really, you should go check out his website. It's really cool. It's a really beautiful office. But just someone who uh, you know dabbled a little bit in multi-practice, realized didn't like it, and just a lot of lessons learned, and he's on with us and just kind of sharing his story and sharing some lessons and and some things about his practice currently and, and you know everything that went into the move and talking about multi-practice and why that didn't work for him. So just a lot of lessons to be learned on this episode and someone who I very much respect and, and very much enjoyed interviewing. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. The Dental Practice Heroes Podcast. Business, communication, leadership, practice, and life success. It all starts with a hero. It all starts with you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes Podcast, where we believe that armed with knowledge and intentionality, anyone can become the hero that their practice needs and deserves. I'd like to welcome my guest, a 2011 graduate of University of Oklahoma, owner of Dental Designs of Strout in Strout, Oklahoma, someone I'm happy to call a friend. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Brett Francis. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's good to be here. Dude, I'm excited to have you on. So me and Brett were talking about something else. Like We're also in this shared online mastermind group, the Bacon Floss, that everybody always asks me about. And they're like, let me get in this. Everyone wants to get in this. I'm like, no, you can't get in it. It's a very private, private group. I was just listening to Brett tell me about his practice, man. And uh, I was like, you got to be on the podcast. You've got to share some of this stuff. It's some really good stuff. And you just built a building, which is gorgeous. Thank you. So like, I mean, like before we get into all that stuff, why don't you tell the listeners about just like your journey from dental school to practice ownership? Because I know it was kind of a unique way that you kind of fell into it. So why don't you just like start there? Yeah. So like you mentioned, I was a 2011 graduate. I always had an inkling to, to gear more towards oral surgery. Didn't necessarily have the grades for oral surgery. I actually went and did a hospital-based general practice residency, left Oklahoma City and moved to uh, Salt Lake City, went to the University of Utah. U of U has a nice hospital-based residency there. Got to do a lot of surgery. Part of my journey was going out there, applying, trying to use that to pad my resume. Still didn't get sniffed. Uh, <laughs> so ultimately, the decision was made for me that I was going to be a general dentist after all. I was like, you were trying to go to, you wanted to go to OS, like you were trying applying and everything? I was trying. I mean, I put, I put in the applications, did the essay, did all this stuff to apply for the match and everything. Just didn't go my way. I could have done like the extern year, but then that was going to be another year and then another four years. And ultimately, the wife was kind of like, hey, maybe you can just go make some money. And I was like, that, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> the never ending student. I remember like when I started dental school, like I remember when I was, I started, I went from like a straight A student to a C student. And then when I started yeah. finding out that, wait, you guys are still getting A's here, like in dental school? <laughs> Yeah. I thought everybody was getting yeah. C's like me, and then I just gave up on specializing. I'm like, I don't have, the, I don't have. It. Yeah, I mean, it was like I was hoping against hope because I mean, I had like B's and stuff. I wasn't like anywhere close to like being like number one in the class or anything. But probably because I spent most of my time hanging out on Dental Town and reading about real world dentistry and not how to wax up my own gold crowns and yeah. cast them myself and learn how to polish them up with rouge or anything like that. Well, so, those are important skills to learn. Very, 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 very important. Very, yeah. 
So talk about like you had, uh, from dental school to uh, yeah. this residency or externship or was it a residency or externship? Yeah, it was just a GPR. Yeah, so it was okay. a GPR. So ultimately, I was like, well, I got to go. I want to get a job. So I started looking around for my first job and got hired on at the practice where I am to this day. So I went and worked for about a year, year and a half. And the guys who owned my practice essentially had like a big business divorce. I don't know how, to, how else to put it. They owned a couple practices and something that had a fallout, falling out with their partnership. And as part of that partnership being divided, they had to sell like all their joint interests together. And the office that I was working at, I was just, you know, I was just an associate, but I was, they weren't there. It was like an associate driven location. And they basically approached me and said, Hey, do you want to, what do you think about buying this practice? And I looked at the numbers and kind of what it was doing and where it was projecting to go. And, you know, I had no intentions of, of buying it, but kind of sat down and realized, you know, it, was, it could be a really good opportunity for me. Was there a part of you that was really kind of nervous doing that? Like you were still fairly, you said I think a year and a half out of school, correct? Yeah. How, how confident were you going into this that you could make this work, that you were getting a good deal and that that was where you wanted to be? I mean, how, how, how are your doubts and, and how was your confidence going into that? So at that point, I mean, I kind of just, I didn't know if that's where I wanted to be, but I knew that it was a chance for me to get into ownership and just kind of put my, you know, kind of put both feet in the fire and, and, and learn as I go. I always knew I wanted to own a practice. I've seen too many guys dink around and dink around and dink around looking for the perfect practice when essentially you can kind of create a lot of that just by implementing your own systems and kind of create the practice that you want and you don't have to just wait for the perfect practice. Now talk about being the main dentist there already, not an owner. You come in, you actually do the transaction, now you are the owner. What were some of the first things that you were like, this is what I want to change? Or were you also like, yeah. were you were you previously as the associate kind of had the leadership role anyway, or was it not until you took ownership over? No, I mean, there was so, granted, that was so long, well, I mean, it was nine, ten years ago now, so details are a little fuzzy, but I mean, I knew there were certain things that, I mean, I didn't have a lot of control over my materials. I didn't have a lot of control over my time off or my schedule, like how I wanted you know, the day to look, how I wanted my schedule to be set up. Just kind of just throw whatever on the schedule and just grind. I think the main thing was that I, you know, I was five days a week and I had to, you know, one of the first things I did was go to four days a week once I bought the practice and started just making uh, investing in technology that was one of the big things too I mean with the, the practice when I bought it had film intraoral x-rays a film pano like obviously no cone beam no serec nothing really advanced at all so just slowly just started implementing a lot of the the technologies that I wanted how about team wise did you turn over some team when you started like really switching things up or <laughs> man <laughs> <laughs> The laugh says it all. <laughs> I mean, we all think we're nice guys. And, you know, ultimately, anytime you take over and you start implementing some of your own ideas and your own plans, you're going to have some some pushback or you're going to have some people that don't like new rules or new systems or, you know, new expectations. I mean, expect you to show up to work on time, expect you to be a team player. And, you know, there's sometimes you buy a practice and, you know, that's not how the old owner did it. And you, you get some of that stuff. And, Definitely had turnover. I mean, definitely had had a lot of that. But I think over time, you just build the team that you know that has a vision of 
of where you want the practice to go and know that you're trying to make things you know, as good as you can make them. Any major lessons you learned through that transition, like through like maybe some mistakes that you made with losing some people or things that you wish you would have handled differently, or if you could go back and do that whole like process differently, any lessons to be learned there? Yeah. I mean, this could be like owning a practice or being married or anything, but just trying to be like sometimes just having better lines of communication. I wasn't really good about having direct lines of communication in the practice. Like I would hear there'd be like this concern from this person or this concern from this person. And it had been going on for months and no one had ever, like everyone was always afraid to, to tell me stuff. Cause they're like, Oh, we don't want to bother you. I'm like, well, I can't make changes there. I can't do anything if I don't know, you know, if I'm in the mouth all day long, I don't know these issues are going on. So I think not having clear lines of communication and like having people like one person in the front that we have like a direct, you know, kind of a setting, a, a leader in the front and a leader in the back that I meet with regularly to really vet some of this stuff out before things just boil to a head and get blown way more out of proportion. Was there any part of you during that taking over ownership that you were like, I made a mistake? This was stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the thing is you could always figure out like things you could have done differently or different ways you could have gone. I think that's the nature of a lot of us, but it's, it's been an amazing, amazing practice for me and it's been able to grow a bunch and continues to do so. So hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I mean, I can't complain. So yeah, I don't like, I don't like to think about that too much. You're a detail oriented guy. And I know this because I remember you, you built in your new practice and, and we'll talk about this in a second. Cause I want to hear about how you, you built the new building. Mm-hmm. Brett had posted, Hey, do you guys like this wall here? And it was like a nice wood wall. And I don't know what it cost, but the color was just slightly off. And Brett, rip, he ripped it down and had it redone. What, yeah. what, did the, what did that cost you to redo? I mean, it wasn't enough that I was like, uh, I mean, the grand scheme of building, it was probably nothing. Grand but. Scheme, it wasn't too much. I mean, I want to say, you know, maybe a thousand bucks or so. Yeah. Yeah. But little things like that, man, they just tied it, tie it all together. And I'm definitely, you know, you got to be, unfortunately, in dentistry, we don't have the luxury of some job where you can be. You got to pay attention to the details in a lot of areas of what we do. So I think it spills over kind of into everything. It does. Now talk about like, what was your, when you had this acquisition, you took over practice, how many ops? And then when did you, you eventually moved your office very recently. So I guess my question is, is what did you move from and what did you move to? And why did you decide to make that move? Right. So my old building, I only had four, four ops total. And essentially you got to the point where we were just stacked up on top of each other all day long. As soon as somebody left, we're turning the room over to get somebody else back. We're doing a Sarah crown. I'm prepping the tooth, having the patient go back to the waiting room or seeing a patient like in that same chair while the, the crown's being milled and baked in the oven. I looked at doing a remodel to add a few chairs, but there was still going to be sacrifices as far as like the, the size of the lab, the waiting room just the overall flow of the office that I decided to pull the trigger and just buy some land and, and do it right. I'd followed a lot of guys on like dental town and other places that have built buildings and just compiled this list and the notes on my phone over the course of like four to five years of different you know floor plans, different ideas, how they had their lab set up, how they had sterilization, how they had their supply set up, where they had their, mobile cart storage where they, how they did their surgical suite, 
all those things. I just kind of had this list that I compiled over the years and then went down and, you know, met with the architect and just kind of just spilled it all out and said, this is what I want. And it, it was a lot of thought, a lot of work and a lot of years, but I've been in there about a month now. It's going well. How many ops did you build out now or how many ops are you set to have? So we went to 10, 10 ops outfitted all 10 and I moved over four chairs and I bought six new, six new chairs and moved my comb beam, moved the, obviously all my lab stuff, the mills and scanners. So when you were at your four op office, when did you decide it was time to kind of expand and take on an associate? Like what were some indicators that you were ready for that? And what were some personal things that made you want to do that? I listened a lot to, uh, Tarun Agarwal at T-Bomb and I had never wanted to bring on an associate because, or at least in my old office, because I didn't feel I had the room for it. And he was like, you're never going to get to where you're delegating more if you don't just do it now. He's like, you just need to do it now, even if you don't have the room for it. So you can actually spend time to have time to get this new building done. I listened to him and I brought on an associate full time last year and ended up you know, ending that relationship, but have a new one that just started with me last week. Okay. So last year, this was in the old office, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah. So this whole year until the end of October, we were in the old building. How did you guys do? And cause I get a lot of people that will write me in and they're always like, how do I do this with four ops? So I'm just curious, how do you do an associate with four ops? So we had essentially two ops for hygiene, two ops for the doctors and I mean, it was tough. Like, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. I mean, it, I mean, like, if you're trying to like actually be like most productive you can be and utilize all your treatment rooms, it's it's not it's not enough unless you go expanded hours and work those work that split schedule. That's what I was curious. Did you do that or? What? So I did. I, I'm one of those guys. Like, I just refuse. I know it makes business sense, and I know you can squeeze more out of your out of your office, but. I've just never been the person that, especially my staff that have kids or even myself, like, I don't want to work Friday. I don't want to work Saturday. I don't want to work till, I don't want to work till 7 PM. And if I'm going to start doing that, I've, I've always kind of felt, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I always felt you kind of had to lead by example somewhat. And I just was never willing to make that commitment. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard while I'm here. And just didn't want to get into that expanded hours game. Well, I think it's a personal choice and, and obviously like, and I'm with you, like I've always said, like as a leader, you have to do it as well. Now, as my practice has progressed, my team will tell you that I don't anymore, but I used to, you know, and I would if they really wanted me to, but um, they haven't asked and I don't know if I would anymore anyway, but you know, I, I did that already. I did when we, when we did it, I used to do it. Yeah. So like now you're growing in this new space. What do you think there's something like if you had to pick one thing that makes your office really special, what, what would you say that you, you guys do really well? For me, I think is I don't try to make every single person great at everything. I really like to like get them into the practice. Like say, for example, assistants, you know, some are, are really great at impressions. Some are really good at scanning. Some are better at ortho. Some are better at implant stuff. And I think some guys get so caught up on just trying to get everybody so cross-trained on everything that they never ever become really like independent or self-sufficient in any one area. 
And so I really like to like empower assistants. And so like I have one that purely runs like my denture removable column. And then I have one that runs my ortho column. And then I have one that predominantly does most of my um, CAD cam work. And it also kind of gives them an ownership of an area in the practice where they can, they can train others. You know, it's not like they're the only ones that know how to do it, but they become like the go-to resource and not me. And so I think that's one thing that, that we've done well. Now, do you also do that on your front end as far as like one person presenting treatment and separate insurance roles and stuff? Yeah, we try to do, I try to have, you know, as far as if it gets beyond like a certain number, if it's over patient portion over a thousand bucks or over 2000 bucks, then I do have my one person I like presenting the plans. She's the most versed as far as, you know, is this going to be, you know, an in-house payment option? Is this going to be something that we get proceed finance involved with or something like that? Just because I hate to like have somebody present and be like, all right, your portion's $2,300, cash or check. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so there was one point, you know, we had my, I hired my babysitter. She was great. She was just so great, great, great. And, and, and she might be listening to this, but I'm not talking about that babysitter. I'm talking about a long time ago. So, cause I got a babysitter that's in dental school right now too, but we had, we hired a babysitter and this is probably like six or seven years ago. And she was so nice. And I'm like, she's going to do great at the front desk. First day, I just walk her, check in a patient. She goes, she goes, she goes, name. And she's like, oh, I'm Mrs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sit down. <laughs> I'm just like, what in the world are you doing? You don't talk to anyone like that. It was so that didn't that didn't work out. But yeah, like yeah. my yeah, my other babysitter actually worked for me as well before she went to dental school. So I don't know if she's listening. I don't want her to be like, oh my gosh, she's talking bad about me. <laughs> but yeah, man. So I, like you go out and now you're you're in this new building that you got to just be loving. Like I imagine, like if owning. Gosh, I, I would love to have my own building because you have space. You have so much yes. space, I imagine. And yeah. I just walk around and just do that deep breath kind of thing. Like, ah, yeah. It's nice. I mean, it's, you know, coming from, you know, space has just been at a premium to come into where you know, every, you know, kind of area is thought out and room to breathe. It's, it's nice. I mean, it makes, I mean, the staff like it. I feel like the staff are in a better mood. They're proud of it. They love hearing all the compliments that are from all the patients that come in. So, you know, kind of gives them a point of pride too, that they get to come to, you know, like a really nice place to work. Now, talk about like some, I know a lot of people that are in maybe your situation that you were in for ops, they want something more. They know deep down in their heart, they want a larger practice. I think it's easy for people to get stuck and just be like, you know what, I already have this. It's already here. It's already working. What would you say to someone who's like, man, maybe I will like actually go pick up some land and build my build my the office of my dreams? Like, what would you say to someone who's kind of like scared of doing that? Like in your experience, knowing what you know now? So ultimately, if you stay in a small space like that, you're always going to be stuck being the main producer. You're always going to be the main producer in your business. And you're never going to get off the hamster wheel. And so you have to make that investment and not be scared to take a step back to take two steps forward. You know, you got to be willing to invest some money kind of hang it out there and just say, this is what I'm going to do because I know this is like the next phase for me and the next phase for my practice. Cause yeah, we can all get comfortable. You can, you can have a great, you can have a great practice. And if you keep your overhead in check, you can, you can have a great living and a great practice in a, you know, a four op setting. But if your goal is to maybe focus on a certain subset of procedures, if you just want to focus on ortho or cosmetics or implants, you're never going to be able to do that if you don't have space to bring somebody in to handle the general dentistry for you and your practice. 
People always ask me what type of marketing we do at the practice to see on average 165 new patients each and every month. And I always say the same thing, reviews. And more importantly, I rank high on Google. You may have heard me talk in the past about how my practice's website and Google search ranking has been the most beneficial element to my practice's growth. Well, I've been happily working with the same marketing person for the past four years, and now you can too. Relevance Online Marketing will take you from non-existence to the top of the pack using their revolutionary approach to SEO and pay-per-click advertising. No contracts, no BS, and only the results that you can take to the bank. So if you are looking for a marketing company that gives your practice the attention and care it deserves, look no further than Relevance Online Marketing. Mention Dental Practice Heroes and get your first month free, risk-free, with absolutely no obligations. Relevance Online Marketing will take your online marketing from zero to hero. Go to RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com and set up a demo today. That's RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com and gear up for some real practice growth. Now, really quickly, before we get to our question segments, I, I don't know how much time we can spend on this, but I, I want to hear your experience with this because you you had multiple practices. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. So kind of the hot fad thing back, I think, what year did you graduate, Paul? I was 2009. I had to think about that. Nine. For okay. Yeah. Uh, so I was a couple years after you, but you know, whenever I'd hang around on the Dental Town message boards and Scott Luna was opening up practices yeah. left and right and... I don't know. I think that was just kind of the sexy, the sexy thing was to get a bunch of locations and get a bunch of associates. And, but there was really like, I had no idea. I just like, that's what I want to do. That's what, you know, the cool guys are doing. That's what I want to do. And the guys that I bought my practice from were into that too. So we ended up opening up a couple other locations, kind of one of those things where you can't just, just cause you have a dental license, dental degree doesn't mean you know how to run multiple locations or how to manage associates or how to, build, you know, an infrastructure of, of, of team members and a hierarchy of who reports to who and ultimately associates that you could trust that you don't have to come in behind and, and redo a lot of work and you end up borrowing from Peter to pay Paul because you're taking time out of your own practice to go, you know, redo work that's already been billed for and collected by another, by another dentist. So it was a nice run. I had, I mean, you know, I made money on it, but it wasn't like, uh, I, I knew after a few years that that wasn't what I wanted. I knew that I knew that going the multi-practice route wasn't for me because I actually I actually do enjoy dentistry. I enjoy being there with my patients and I enjoy certain procedures more than others as we all do, but the managing of of multiple locations and making sure people showed up for work or having hygiene coverage for multiple offices and dealing with working with temp agencies to fill in it just got to be where it was taking the joy and the fun out of being a dentist for me personally. Yeah. It's making my heart beat fast. Just like listen to you talk. About <laughs> but I, I know what you mean, man. Like I, I did the same thing. I'm like, well, man, I'm going to open a practice. Then I'm going to get like five, six more. Man, maybe I'll just do a big DSO, like like Heartland or something, man. I'm going oh, yeah. oh, yeah. to have a yeah. jet and a helicopter and stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And then you get, and then I got into my first one, and I'm just like, oh, this, this is kind of enough. My plate's pretty full right now, man. But yeah, you, <laughs> hey, always learning, and there's nothing wrong. You tried it, you know, and you now, now you know. Yeah, you know, I thought that's what I wanted. I got into it, and I learned that's not what I wanted. So glad I did it because now I never have to scratch that uh, itch ever again. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, let's move on to the segment where we share little systems that add up to big results. Doctor Francis, what is your little system? 
So my little system kind of touched on it earlier is just having empowering each assistant to kind of have, have them ownership of this, of a certain role in your practice, whether that's your, you know, your main person for your cosmetic work, your main person for your dentures, main person for your, your ortho, if you're doing in-house aligners, like, you know, having somebody who's in charge of certain areas always makes people accountable. And I think that's one thing that we've done well. Yeah, I would say like during my practice growth, the one areas where we always got kind of a little, I guess, gray areas is when you have something that's everybody's responsibility. Because when something is everyone's responsibility, it's no one's responsibility. And when we were a smaller team, that kind of worked to have like, it's the fronts and there's only three front desk people. So it's their responsibility. But when we got up to like 10 plus people at the front desk, it became nobody was doing it. Yes. I, I, I think it's good to recognize that and that you recognize that and you talk and, and, implement this, that this is your responsibility. Cause I think that clarity is lacking in a lot of dental offices. And I think also one tip if, if dentists aren't doing this is having a defined person for, for your lab cases, having that one person that is responsible for our lab cases here for, you know, the rest of the week, if not, what labs do I need to reach out to, to find out when they're coming in, you know, the last thing patients hate it and you're calling, Oh, your lab case isn't here. We got to get you rescheduled or, you know, the scan forgot to get sent off. And so now it's coming back four days later than we thought it was going to come back. So having a system in place for that, I think for, for lab communication is huge. Yeah. And we, we got to play like the COVID supply chain card for a little bit, but I don't think that works anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time we used that, I'm like, Thomas COVID supply chain. I'm like, really? yeah, uh, that's yeah. what everyone's saying. You know, it'll work out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the holidays. You know how things get around the holidays. Yeah, totally. All right, let's move on to the segment where we celebrate that officer human and none of us is perfect. Dr. Francis, let's get real. Everybody get down. It's about to get real in here. What is the biggest struggle at your practice right now and what are you doing about it? Hygiene. Hygienists, at least, you know, I'm a little bit more rural. I'm about, you know, 45 minutes outside of, of Oklahoma City where my practice is. So, there's not enough hygienists as it is, let alone someone who's doesn't want to be just right in suburbia. That's been a challenge. So what we've had to do is to go to a dovetail schedule with an assistant for my hygienist and then and then have another dedicated um, column with, with its assistant driven only for 12 years and older with chrono, that can do chrono polishing and x-rays and fluoride and sealants. I have one person that has all those certificates. So you know, me or the associate, if there is some scaling on a 12 year old, would pop over and do a little bit. And that's freed up our hygiene schedule a lot, moving all the 12 and under out into an assistant driven column. So essentially get three columns of hygiene with one hygienist on payroll. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when this hygienist stuff's going to let up, but it's a, I mean, I they know. just made it in Illinois that now assistants can scale on people 12 to maybe 18. I'm not sure what it is. Mm-hmm. We've actually been very lucky with hygienists. I think I have so many hygienists that we always find somebody through a connection through someone else, but, but definitely a struggle lucky. for a lot of people. <laughs> I, I am yeah. very, very lucky. I know I am. All right, man, if you could go back in time to the beginning of your career, what do you wish you could tell yourself? I think what I would really tell myself is to not be you know, so emotionally invested in the outcomes of the cases that I've done or to not beat yourself up over the cases that you do. I think we all want every single case to work perfectly. We don't ever want a filling to fall out or a veneer to break or, you know, a root canal to fail or whatnot. So I used to just really beat myself up a lot about that. And I'd come home stressed and I'd be in a bad mood about, you know, if something didn't go well 
or as well as I wanted it to go. So I think that's huge for young dentists because we want to we want to do well. And we want to take good care of our patients, but learning how to just kind of leave work at work. How long till after you graduated, or how long after you graduated do you feel like you were able to mentally make that switch? I'm just curious. Oh, it was a while, probably probably five six years, probably. I was gonna say that's what it was about for me. I think it was like six seven years yeah. out of school, and I, and I go over this with my my newer associates because they're often relatively like young out of school. Mm-hmm. Just hey, you did your best. That was your best. Did yeah. you do your best? That's that's the best it was. It's stuff happens. It's. it's Dentistry is unpredictable. It's a tricky animal. And, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I think we all go through that. And that's, that's definitely, yeah, more stress than we need to put on ourselves. But For sure. it's almost like you, you, you don't want to be like, I don't care. But it's like, it, yeah. but there's nothing you do. Yeah, that's, it's more so you need to care, you need to try your best, but then, you know, just don't carry it home with you. Yeah, that's tough. Easier said than done. All right, share a story where you learned a valuable business lesson from an experience or the hard way hiring family members like (laughs) not my personal so not my personal family but I hired like a mother-daughter combo and then the daughter ended up just (laughs) just being extremely toxic so then it was like you know how do you fire the daughter without pissing off the mom I mean ultimately one quit and then I was able to fire the other one. Okay. I was going to say, how did you do it? So essentially I just quit giving, like, I just never gave a raise. So like, I kind of just like, eventually they'll realize that I could give them a raise. So she quit. And then, then, then once she quit and then I could fire the other one. There you so, go. So now you'll never get yourself in that pickle ever again. Don't hire family. Like try to avoid it at all costs. Cause it creates a huge conflict whenever one of them isn't, isn't performing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even you, you even run the same things with people that are really, really, really good friends too. Yes. You know, yes. They, almost, they almost might as well be family. Yeah. And then they become like frenemies at work and then it just becomes all weird. We had, we had a girl come to work. This is probably maybe a month and a half ago with a box full of stuff, like the breakup box. Like here's the, Here's what you gave me for my birthday. Uh, Here's that sweatshirt you left at my house. (laughs) I wasn't there for it, but when I heard about it, I was like, "My gosh! Like, what the hell's going on here?" But they (laughs) they made up, and she she kept her box. She took her stuff home, and they're they're still friends. But it was like, yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. So now you got your new building. You definitely know that you don't want to do multi practice right now. You're growing, and you're trying to like really, I think, zero in on what you want to do just personally as far as clinically goes, but what, what do you see like long-term in like five years for your new practice? Like what do you, what are you, what are some goals and where are you taking this place? My goal would be to eventually drop to three, I'm at four days a week. My eventual goal is to get down to three days a week and having two full-time associates to really, I'm just doing only the cases that I want to be doing, you know, implants, oral surgery, those types of things. Honestly, I probably need to think higher you know, now that I'm in the new space, I've, I've kind of had to limit my my goals because it was held back by capacity for so long. Now that capacity isn't such a limiting factor, I really need to sit down and reevaluate yeah. what that actually looks like. But you still got like the dust is still settling. You're still in new. Yes, <laughs> you're still in your new home. There is. I mean, we're and we're hiring a bunch. Like we just brought on like three or four new team members, and we had two new people start literally today. Oh, yeah. We're in that just hyper growth phase right now. So it's just kind of seeing where it takes me. And, but yeah, that's, I need to sit down and, and, and do that. That's a, 
a good goal. That for sounds me. like a solid exercise for the end of the year. This sounds like this is like when you do your 2023 goals, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. 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 And then you're going to publicly declare that you'll have those goal down on the bacon <laughs> floss group and everyone's going to hold you accountable. That's right. I like that. I like that. <laughs> All right, man, let's move on to the dental practice hero. Sexy six, six, sexy questions. What is your favorite quote and what does it mean to you? So this is from a guy named Aubrey McClendon. He was a pretty prominent businessman in the oil and gas field here in Oklahoma. But the quote goes like this. He goes, I would advise any young professional to focus on finding something that you love and then be determined to be the best at what you do. I have never met a rich person who set out to be that way. Instead, most wealthy people found personal and professional fulfillment by identifying what they loved and were good at and then pouring themselves into their professions. More often than not, financial success becomes an outgrowth of dedication to a craft. That's so true, too. And, and, and there's a really good book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, by Cal Newport. And that, that's kind of the premise of it. People that just, it wasn't like they, they, they just poured themselves into in the mastership of the process mm-hmm. that brings that passion and the financial reward is, is the, the byproduct. Yeah, essentially to the point where you don't even really look at the numbers anymore because it just it just kind of happens organically. That's that's kind of been my focus. Yeah, I think it's a good focus. And, and you know, everyone says like you know if you do the right thing and you do it for the right reasons, every, all the rewards follow. It's not all about that. Yeah. yeah, love that man. All right, what are you reading right now? So this is really good for me because I'm not much of a reader. <laughs> I spend way too much time on uh, the, the forums, so I'm trying to get through Start with Why okay. by Simon Sinek. But that's pretty much it, man. Like, I, I wish I read more. That's one of my goals is I need to to be to be better about that. But I'm going to flip that on you and just and, and ask what you're reading because <laughs> I need I, I need some help. You're the big book guy. Since you asked, right now I'm reading Modern Wisdom, Ancient Origins, or something like that. Okay, it's an interesting book about like it's just like a life success book, but it's interesting. It's it's a very short okay. one two book, but yeah, I would also recommend that. My ADD is, uh, it gets to me sometimes. I, I get like three, four chapters in and then I get distracted. Well, you know what it is too, is, is me and Brett talked about this before we hit record, is that I was telling Brett how I usually stay up to like two, three in the morning every night. Brett's like ready to go to sleep right now. Like we're here at 8, yeah. 845 right now. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's it too, that like you've got like a normal sleeping schedule and you're not like a raging insomniac <laughs> like I am. Because yeah. that, that's when I get my reading done. Well, my consultant, she, uh, she when she talks about like personality types, if she says if you're like a, a more like a visionary type, which I guess that's what I am from like the personality test or whatever. She's like, we have a hard time completing tasks because we're already so like on to the next, on to the next, on to the next that we, we we got about 15 different projects that we're like halfway through because our we just have a vision for this next idea and the next idea and the next idea that sitting down and, and actually finishing something can be can be a challenge for us. So for someone who's not a big reader, what is a book that you think all that just should read? So the, one of the books that did help me a lot was The White Coat Investor. And this is not so much a self-help book, but more so we don't get taught really anything about how to set ourselves up for actually getting away from the chair and actually retiring and being in good shape when it comes time to that. And dentists can be suckers for a lot of bad investment advice. And so 
that's a book that I would recommend. They've got two of them. There's the White Coat Investor book, and then there's like this one. It's almost like a handbook that you work yourself through. It's like, hey, this is how you set up a HSA. This is how you set up a backdoor Roth. This is how you cancel your whole life policy. <laughs> this is how you. This is how you do all these things, and um, really, really good information that a lot of guys just overlook. It's surprising to me that there's so many people that just don't know anything about it. And I'm not saying you have to be an investment professional by any means, but yes. there's a lot of people that just, hey, I just know I, I got this financial planner guy and he works for Northwestern Mutual and he's somebody I went to high school with and he's he's handling my retirement. He says I'm on track. Yeah. It, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to kind of learn that. Yeah. And I've heard people mention that book before. I haven't personally read it, but I've, okay. I've heard other people mention yeah. that as well. So that's good. Recommend a seminar or a continuing education. So I'll do a little bit of self-promotion here. I help mentor at Implant Pathway. And it's, I feel, one of the best implant education places out there. Whether you've placed an implant or you know, not placed an implant or you've placed a lot, there's a, there's a lot to learn there. And I help out there, but there's there's docs out there that are just immensely, immensely talented. Guys that are doing full arches every single day. And just a vast amount of, of knowledge when it comes to implants that a lot of docs can learn from. So I've been helping out there for about a year and I enjoy it even learning from all the docs that come out and take the course too. So It seems like a very fun group. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. You should come. <laughs> I wish I'd like one of these days I'm going to go, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like, cause I got, I got to hair dune and he does episodes with me and he always talks about full art stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to reignite my passion for dentistry. I'm only there doing full just, arches. And then I'm just like, <laughs> and then I'll like wake up one day. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. No, I, mean, no. <laughs> I just want to do apartments and stuff. <laughs> But yeah, like I, I, if I did take another course, that would be the one that I would take because I, I, I don't think I've heard a single bad thing said about that that continuum from anybody that's taken. I've heard all good things, so I, I see the pictures on Instagram and stuff, and you guys look like you have fun. So where is it? It's in Arizona, right? It's in Scottsdale. It's in yeah, it's in yeah, it's in Phoenix, man, okay. Tempe. So there you go. It's easy. Come out. We'll hang out in Scottsdale. We'll have a good time. Nice, cool. All right, please share an analogy that you use to communicate an idea to a patient. Oh gosh, there's so many of these. The easiest one is the rock and the shoe for occlusion. I think, especially <laughs> tying this back to associates, and my advice for young dentists is learn how to get people's bites right. Learn how to really check occlusion really well because that can throw off so many things. I have so many post ops in your chair that make you less productive. As if every quadrant, you know, you've associates are usually doing most of the restorative, right? The MOs, the DOs, and all of those things. And if you don't learn how to check occlusion well, you're going to have a lot of people back, a lot of unhappy patients. I've had to calm the waters with quite a few patients, you know, with trying to get that stuff done right. But the rocking issue, and like every time you step down, you know, you got a rocking issue, your foot's going to hurt and it's going to bounce back. That's just like when your bite's high. Got to get that rock out of the way and, it's where everything's hitting evenly. I remember before I learned how to really balance that end-to-end contact and the protrusive into it. Mm-hmm. The person mm-hmm. had to come in and they'd have that bonding on like number eight, and it lasted them like twenty years, and it came off like four <laughs> times. So they would do it like the fourth time, and you're like, "What the hell?" And then you check the, the crossover brux, and you're like, "Oh, there yep. it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, there it is. Yep. Yeah. Should have known." Oh, well. <laughs> All right. If you had three pieces of advice for a new dentist or soon-to-be graduate, what would they be? I would listen to listen to podcasts and advance your knowledge as much as you can and all the free resources that are out there there's the information that's available now it was a, it was around when we graduated 
But I mean, you think about the guys even who graduated 10 years before us. I mean, think about just the vast avenues that you can learn from that weren't around. I mean, they just had their local dental society meetings and like the ADA national meeting and then like flying places, you know, but with Facebook groups and Instagram and podcasts and, you know, even like dental town, all those, all those forums, there's just so much free knowledge out there that you can make yourself immensely better if you, if you spend the time to do it. So those things, and then finding out not quickly, but you know, find the area that you're passionate about dentistry. You can go in so many different ways, whether it's cosmetics or implants or, you know, sleep or dentures, whatever, you know, whatever gets you excited, try to be really damn good at that and try to kind of figure that out as soon as you can. Cause the more you, you figure that out, the quicker you can dive into that and kind of become more of a niche type practice because there's always going to be general dentists out there. There's always going to be people doing crowns and fillings, you know, but if you can actually find something that you're really damn good at, you can kind of become that guy. You end up doing less of that bread and butter stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lastly, get a mentor and, and, and lean on them as much as you can. Somebody that you can call and text or a support group that, you know, a group of whether it's classmates or whoever, but don't get don't get locked in your shell because dentistry can be pretty lonely. Yeah, it's so true. And even even that aspect of like where we are now with technology, it's like I mean, we had Dental Town about when we were graduating, but it was I mean, it was still kind of limited. There wasn't that many people on it. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Like I remember I had Aaron Nichols on, and he was talking about like when you just take a course because you get a flyer in the mail. And it just happened yeah. to be you and me drive like two yeah. hours for it. Like that was the CEO. Yeah. There was no like other thing to do. Yeah. It's crazy. Just last question. You talk about doing what you're passionate about. What what aspect of dentistry are you the most passionate about? And then we'll close out. Yeah. So for me, it's just been, I just got big on just doing sedation and, and oral surgery cases and implants. I like just having one patient and whether that's taking all their teeth out, putting implants in, take, take their teeth out and do dentures. I can do a combination case now with the CEREC, you know, you can come in, take out some teeth, prep some crowns, mill it all. I mean, it's, I like to just kind of take a case and we'll just work through the whole thing. I like the puzzle of kind of putting people back together. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking time tonight. I know you're about to get head up to bed, but thanks so much for taking time and sharing your story. And we're right at, this is the last episode right before Christmas. And this is our last interview for 2022. Maybe we get you on at the last episode of 2023 and we could set that goal that you're going to be down to three days by then. I don't want to, I don't want to put you on the spot, but just, just maybe, just maybe. Okay. That can be a great goal to work towards. All right. I'm going to have to keep, you have to keep growing and keep getting more people on board. So. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Brad. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, Paul.